0: Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio.
1: Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit—all this and more, right here. On the Main Street Universe Radio Network.
2: Mr. Daniel Michael. And with me this evening is, of course, as every Wednesday, Miss Janice R. White.
0: How you doing, everybody? And also joining us
2: all the way from the fighting city of whichever town in Michigan he's from, Mr. Brett Hillman. Hello, Brett. I'm glad
3: to be here. <laughs> Hello, Brett.
2: And I hope you're feeling better. We'll start everybody getting our heads together as to what you possible... Thing is uh, going on there, and I know it's been a very strange week for a lot of people. <laughs> There's all very kinds strange
4: of week. strange stories
2: going around everywhere. So I've, uh... yeah, I'm not even going to get into that right now. But I want to remind everybody that Main Street Universe is a network of now six shows, so we're only air six nights a week, basically. Uh, As we started once from an 11 a.m. Wednesday morning show, myself and Kevin Barrett. But now we have, of course, this evening, Main Street Universe, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. All these are Eastern. Then Thursday, tomorrow at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, is Queen Mother Imaku. And she has just joined us recently, the last few weeks, after doing an episode of Main Street Universe with us. And it's great to have her on board for her interesting perspective with the Kermetic uh Kermetic African uh tradition that she's uh an expert in. And then of course at <clears throat> Friday evenings, technically Saturday, but it's Friday evenings, at midnight, is Jesse and Nichols George and Activating Compassion in the Midnight Hour. Jesse is the author of two books, going on four. She'll be finishing the other two soon. And Jesse has been with us now probably about three-quarters of a year, I think, or so, something like that, which reminds me, today is very close to Denise's one-year anniversary one year here. One-year,
0: guys. <laughs> and they said it when that last. <laughs> Who was that? Many, trust oh, me. Oh, really?
2: Yeah. Yeah. One day. <laughs> Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> it's nice to know you have a reputation out yeah, there, doesn't it? <laughs> and, of course, Brett has been with us since just about the beginning, the first or second or third episode we started. So there's more people getting involved. Anyway, back to the schedule. Jessie's is Friday at Midnight Activating Compassion in the Midnight Hour. Lots of good, interesting guests, some life coaching. She's had some interesting pet rescue charities and all sorts of different guests that she's had, including the New Age musician a little while back, Steve Halpern.
0: Oh, yeah, that was a great show, actually.
2: So uh, we've had some really great guests. And now, of course, on Sundays, 7 p.m. Eastern time, is Darren Boucher. And Darren Boucher is a palm reader as well as a uh, tarot reader and spiritual consultant who works at Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo in the magical city of New Orleans. Good so Darren has joined us, and he's our Sunday evening host, and I usually join him for a little bit on that show as well. And he also discusses topics. He, he opens the lines for readings, but he discusses some of his training and, and different uh, techniques. Now, also, of course, Mondays is Kevin Baird, the co founder of the Main Street Universe Radio Network, and Kevin's show is called Walking on the Sidewalk horizon oracle's journey 9 p.m eastern time and today our guest is t Thorne coyle an author musician activist all sorts of things going on there and she's definitely got some history that i'm a little bit interested in of course we'll get to all that during the interview and i'm going to go ahead and as i say instead of me talking about her we will have her talk about her And your microphone is on now. T. Thorne-Coyle, welcome to Main Street Universe.
5: Welcome, T. Hi, many blessings. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for being a guest. And I'm going to start off the questions. Um, Now, I don't know if you remember, but I first met you briefly in Sacred Space 2010, if I believe. Mm -hmm. Then I got to meet you all over again when you were in Baltimore at Bree Books and uh, where you had introduced your new book, Make Magic a Part of Your Life. So my questions are going to be from that book while Daniel and Brett are going to ask questions of your own. Good. Um but my first question is what was your motivation to create this book, Make Magic a part of your life?
5: Well I started writing Make Magic of Your Life as a series of blog posts because I found that my students and spiritual direction clients were having trouble with two things. They were having trouble connecting with desire and passion mm-hmm. in their lives and feeling um fear around following desire or uncovering desire. And also, um also having trouble with the power of manifestation of following desire towards what they really wanted and towards what I call our divine work in the world is. You know, we each have our divine purpose, the work we're here to do. And I found that people were really um, having trouble figuring out how to connect with that. So I started writing a series of blog posts about it, and the response was just enormous. And that's why I wrote the book. And the book is... um, based around Eliphaz Levy's powers of the Sphinx to know, to will, to dare, and to keep silence. And when we bring all those four things together, we can manifest and we can be of greater service and we can really step into what our purpose is.
0: Yes, the four powers of the Sphinx is normally taught, I guess, in the first... Uh, Wicca 101 or metaphysics 101. It's something that uh, everybody draws on or at least thinks about when they're going to manifest magic. So I could see why you wrote a book um, featuring the
5: four powers of the Sphinx.
2: Some people call it the witch's pyramid. Yes,
5: yes, yes. yes. And it's it's such a um, it's such a vital and powerful set of concepts, and as you said, people often are introduced to it at the very beginning, but then Mm -hmm. too often we leave it there, and we fail to return to it and figure out that we can go through that cycle at every level of our spiritual development, and that the four powers are really necessary for every phase in our lives. So I really appreciated getting a chance to revisit the four powers and dig more deeply into them.
0: Yes, um, could you share with our audience, um, in a few words, your, if you have any special definition of the four powers, or the way that you remember them, or is it just fine? Is just to do to know, to dare, to will, and keep silent, and to keep silent. Sorry.
5: Well, there's a lot of ways to work with the four powers. Um, I prefer to use them as a process because that's where most of my theology is based. I'm a process theologian, that we're all in process, God herself is in process, the cosmos, the universe is in process, the gods are in process, right? And so if I can follow the ancient dictum to know myself first, if I can even just know a little bit, That starts me off. And as soon as I activate the power to know, then I can step into will. And will, for me, is intention in action. Okay. So I know something. I have a concept and a framework. How am I going to set my intention around that and act? And once I do that, I have to open up into the power to dare. And this is often really challenging for many of us. Because the power to dare is the power of letting go of what Alistair Crowley called lust of result, right? We okay. have to be delivered of lust of result. Um, the Bhagavad Gita says, be intent on action, not on the fruits of action. So that requires daring. It requires us to say, okay, I'm acting, and yet, as soon as I act, the cosmos, the universe, steps forward in all these interlocking parts And the future changes. So I can't exactly know the outcome. I've got to trust and let go of the outcome temporarily. And then I need to move into the spaciousness of the power to keep silence, which is the power of integration, the power of digestion, and the power of the greater mystery. And if I can step into that mystery and really allow myself the space of letting the work I've set in motion, settle, and integrate, then something new has a chance to emerge, and a more complete manifestation comes forward. Whereas if I was trying to control things every step of the way, or if I was not allowing space, that space for mystery to enter, my manifestation wouldn't be as full, and I wouldn't be as effective right? I'd be trying to micromanage everything, and I'd get stuck, stuck in the loop of, you know, no will dare, no will dare, or sometimes in our overculture, culture we just go from will to dare, <laughs> right? And we end up like hamsters, um, and we never think in, we never open to a larger purpose and a larger sense of connection with the cosmos and with our divine work. So That's a basic way of working with them. I've also um, found it very helpful to think of them in terms of the four phases of the sun. Um, So the power to know is that dawning knowledge. It's the dawning of the sun. It's that first emergence. And the power to will is that sun at noon that sun at full power, and it's us harnessing that power to move forward in action. And then the power to dare is the sun at dusk, at sunset, that liminal space where we're neither day nor night, and things are a little less clear. It's that twilight space that's so potent. Mm-hmm. That's the power to dare. And then the power to keep silence, of course, is the midnight sun.
4: That space
5: where the sun is hidden and yet it's still present. And so how do we tap into that? So that's another way we can work with the four powers. Um, And I find those very helpful to work with both seasonally and emotionally and in life phases.
0: Okay. Um, So that was very interesting. So when you said to know if I got this right or if I wrote it right, Um, Like the beginning of the sunrise, Mm -hmm. okay, Um, to will, like the midday sun or afternoon sun, to dare more of the sun setting or evening, and to keep silent more of the midnight sun. Did I write that down correctly?
5: Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay.
2: I had a question, because you mentioned giving things space and allowing them to breathe and integrate naturally. Because, you know, in, in modern-day practices, you know, people throw around things like the secret and, and law of attraction and all of this, which are basically, I don't want to get into that now. But kind of the law of attraction is kind of an amalgam, I think, of the Hermetic Seven Principles that is kind of wrapped up into a little burrito. So, and try, nice thought.
0: <laughs> but,
2: but. Um, and people will say, you know, constantly, constantly think about it, think about your goal. Are you saying kind of let it go for a while, like let it breathe and let it be? Is, is that was sort of what you were saying?
5: That's part of it. That's a big part of it. Um, the letting go begins with the power to dare. Because in, this is where things like the law of attraction go awry, because we are not the only component in the cosmos, Right. There are many other things that as soon as we move, they're going to step forward and meet us. And that helps Mm -hmm. us create something that's brand new that we couldn't really think of back at the power to know. And so we need to reassess. And the power to keep silence, yes, helps us let go further and helps things to incubate. And that incubation process enables us to change It enables the work we've set into motion to change. And as I said, it enables us to better meet that which is mysterious, that which is ineffable. So we can actually co-create with the larger cycles rather than just the smaller cycles that are more easily knowable by us. So it's very important to our process to keep silence. And yes, to let go temporarily and to not always be striving. Keeping our goal in mind is helpful, and we can return to our goal, but we do need that space to, as you said, let things go temporarily and just let it be. I'll give you an example. For example, when I work on a big project like my books, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have got to let them rest for a few months after I finish and then I need to go back and look at them changed. I have changed and they have changed. We've
2: yes. both dealt,
5: right? If I'm I a
2: songwriter and I understand that completely. How oh, you want to come back yeah. and hear it with ears again. <laughs> yes,
5: that's right. So, what's that process like for you in the songwriting? I'm interested to hear.
2: Well, I would say it's very similar to how you describe because it first starts out like the brand new thing. You know, it's coming out of the air, and as you know, the, to know is associated sometimes with the element air, it's the newness. And it's like that. It's it's being created. It's being learned. You're beginning to know it. Then it's fire. Then you're just on. Then you're just well, playing your guitar and trying to find it, you know, everything about it. It's really where you come in and you're you're willing it. And then, of course, the evening comes and things settle down a little bit. And now you're daring to put it out into the world, just as you said. And then you, then I do want to walk away from it. So I would definitely say a lot of my songwriting goes through this process you mentioned, because I like to walk away from it for a while, then come back and hear it again with like kind of new ears.
0: But you're staying silent while you're hearing it again with new ears, right?
2: Or right. it, it, like she said, because you had changed, and maybe there's something in it now that to criticize. So I would say it's very similar to that process, to be honest.
3: Mm-hmm. And oh, so it's very much we, the same as writing a study or a paper as well, just that, that staying away from it for a while and coming back to make sure you know what you were thinking one day is not the same as next.
5: That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. You know, this the example I often like to use too is um, anyone who does a lot of divination work, you know, whether it's tarot or astrology or runes or just mm-hmm. psychic readings. We all know that's a snapshot of a moment. And as soon as the person or ourselves moves and takes action, the future changes, right? And so the place of silence gives room for that change also, which I find really fascinating.
4: It is. that's when the
2: flow integrated wisdom, you know, like planting a seed, you know, that's why that's earth, you know, earth integration, you know. That's when things, that's when they integrate and that's when they you know, begin to take life and, and weave in with the soil. And uh, Brett, we'll let you take the next few questions. We have three hosts here on this show, so we're trying to <laughs> organize okay, this. Okay, great. Ahead, well,
3: my my area is going to be mostly on your other media. Um, exploit. You do a podcast. Um, I do. I believe, uh, know Thyself. And it seems to be based around the elements, or at least mm-hmm. – each show seems to have an elemental type feel. How do you incorporate that? How does that work?
5: So elemental casting, I do cycle through the elements. And I have a different guest on every show. Um, and what I do is I say, okay, say you are um, a healer. I might try to put you in on fire so we can talk about the importance of fire in the healing process. You know, and what does that look like and what does that feel like and how does that affect our magic, et cetera. And it's just a good structure and a jumping off point for deeper discussions, Rather than just having um, a musician or an author or a magic worker on to talk in general, I really appreciate the elemental focus because it draws things out that we might not otherwise get to. Like, I had um, a woman on, uh, Miss Maya, who does a lot of work with her hoodoo practice, and we were able to talk about the power of water and divination, but also things like sacred baths. Um, so it just opens things up in a way that's interesting to me. Um to tell you the truth, though that podcast has been winding down, and I have recently replaced it with a new project called Make Magic of Your Life, which is a YouTube webcast that I'm doing twice a month.
3: So, um, so that'll will it have a similar focus, or do you have new plans for that? Because it is video
4: um,
5: that- as well. That that one, so the podcast, I could do longer format because it's easier for people to just listen to audio for longer. But since this is video, I'm keeping them really brief. I'm trying to keep them under 15 minutes. And we're cycling through the four powers. We're cycling through knowing, willing, daring, and silence. Um, and so far, I've done five and had really different people on every time. And it's been quite interesting so far. I've had writers and activists and um other people on. I've got I've got a hip hop artist coming up, um, a fiction writer, and it's really fun. And it's a little more challenging to keep things under fifteen minutes, but I appreciate having to hone things down.
3: Yeah, it, it is generally harder to have something when you have to you have to show restraint when you have less time and you have to have more in those fifteen minutes than you do in the sixth 60 Minutes or however long a podcast episode was. Right. Um, you've also done music. Uh, as Daniel mentioned, you know, we we have sounders, we love musicians. So what kind of music product, projects have you done?
5: I've done a lot over the years. I did a couple of self-produced CDs um, that were folk rock, Um, The first one a little more folk, the second one a little more rock, uh, Give Us a Kiss. They're both out of print physically, but they can be found digitally on my Bandcamp page if you go to Thorn Coil at Bandcamp. But I've also done more recently two chant CDs with musician Sharon Knight, who's just a wonderful, talented woman. And we collaborated on Songs for the Waning Year and Songs for the Strengthening Sun. So it's music for the darker part of the year and music for the lighter part of the year, and hopefully we'll be working on a new CD together, starting in August. So it's I all music. It's it's all music that um is devotional music. It's spiritual music. Uh, it's magical music. I, I got.
3: A I hope that okay. goes well. Yeah, I got to get copies of some of those because north and the lighter half of the year and the darker half of the year really good use in devotion work for those times yeah it just the whole year it's like specifically for that cuz you see a lot of music you know especially in the pagan world that's about a specific goddess or a specific time but not for for a season but not for the entire half of the year
5: yeah It was really nice working on those two CDs. Uh, We had a lot of great musicians come into the studio to work on that with us. It was quite a collaborative process. And I feel like Sharon's style and my style blend really nicely together, and it created a synergy that I think really comes forward. We've had a great response to those CDs.
4: Um,
3: A lot of times you notice a lot of playing musicians have a more – or like that are in Wicca seem to have a more folkish type feel to their music,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and I've also noticed that a lot of Norse seem to have a lot of metal type Do you think your tradition ha- has shaped what kind of music that you fall into, or do you think those two are completely unrelated?
5: Well, I think that you're onto something. Um, I think that pagan folk has been um, really active and i think that heathen metal is also a driving force i love heathen metal actually it's some of my favorite music to go see live um but for me personally it's just been my own personal evolution you know i used to listen to more folk music and now i listen to a lot less folk music and i really i listen to more metal or i listen to more um not exactly techno, but uh, industrial music. And so that influences me more now. And Sharon Knight, who's my current collaborator, she also, she actually splits her time between folk and metal. It's very interesting that you chose those two. Uh, she, her work really combines the two. And some of her projects <coughs> are a little more folk and Celtic oriented, and some are a little more metal and rock oriented. So, yeah, I do think people's traditions shape their music and shape the music that they're drawn to, but I also think that some of us cross over quite a bit.
2: Oh, yeah, my taste is across the board. I mean, I have a certain type of music that I'm sort of better at playing. You know, I sound better sort of, you know, acoustic, you know, kind of folk rock kind of stuff. It's just what I'm, you know, it just feels at home to me. But my taste in music is completely, it's all over the place, you know, whether it's... Mine too. Reggae, or whether it's uh, uh, reggae, uh, 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 yeah. Janice hosts a reggae show, by the way, yes. or whether, or, or whether it's you know metal or electronic, or you know one of my very favorite musicians in the world is Tori Amos. I just think she's a great oh, songwriter. I've seen
0: her twice. She's cool. Uh, so
2: my my taste yeah. is all over the place, really. Anyway, so. <clears> Thank <throat> you. And <clears throat> right now, I also wanted to get into something. Let's go back into the past a little bit, and then Janice is going to have a question later about something you recently wrote. Right now, I want to go back into the past a little bit in that you are someone with a training lineage It's pretty interesting, and that's what I wanted to ask you about, and that's coming mm-hmm. from Victor and Cora Anderson. We're talking pre gardenarian Gideon when uh Starhawk, all of them in the same teacher and student like lineage, the fairy tradition. I wonder if you could explain that, relationship how you all met how this happened
5: sure i i met um well i was introduced to fairy tradition the anderson fairy tradition when i first moved to san francisco when i was 18 i had already been studying the craft um before that and fairy tradition just felt resonant it felt powerful and really potent to me um so I studied for a while with one teacher, but I didn't end up meeting Victor and Cora for several years until I was working with a coven and we wanted more training, and so we sought them out, and we actually met with them a couple of times. And the way I described meeting Victor and Cora, I said it was like going to your grandparents' house. By the end <laughs> of the visit, you were knocked to the floor.
4: <laughs>
5: um it was really funny, like we would leave their house stunned and go get margaritas because...
2: Right, <laughs> you had to like calm, ground to... yourself a little bit and have Right, It another... <laughs> it was,
5: you know, it was like slamming down all the psychic centers that had opened wide from being with the <clears throat> two of them. And, you know, it's not, it's not what I recommend for people. I'm like, here, let's actually do these spiritual practices instead of just slamming tequila. Uh, right. It's more sustainable, but they were that powerful and... You know, Victor would sit and rock in his chair and tell stories and he was such a shapeshifter. It whatever culture he was telling the story uh from, it was as though he looked as as if he were from that culture. He would literally change. Ooh. And of
0: course, I
5: wish he I could see that.
2: For those that don't know, yeah. Victor Anderson you know cuz a lot of people and and rightfully so you know Gerald Gardner brought a lot to you know modern witchcraft wicca all those things we're talking in the 50s Victor Anderson was someone known to be in covens and um and had some works out in poetry and other things but we're talking 1920s about 1926 yeah. i think you know so this is this is this is quite a few years before the whole gardnerian um, thing kicked in. No disrespect to, to Gerald Gardner. I'm just saying, but man, right. kind of uniquely American. You know, he was an American is, form of witchcraft. It
5: is. A, it is very American. He was with the Harpy Coven in Oregon in the 1930s, and mm. he also has oh. stories about um, growing up in New Mexico and studying with some of the, you know, Latin American uh, craft traditions in New Mexico. And then Cora is very interesting. She was raised in the poor Irish mining town in Appalachia. Okay. And
4: her, grand,
5: her grandfather was an herb doctor who would travel around from these, you know, little poor dirt poor towns on his horse healing people. He was, <laughs> he was <laughs> the only like
0: a doctor wife.
5: they had. Wise man. And, and Cora literally had an evil stepmother. And... <laughs> She would be locked out of the house a lot of the time and would just spend most of her time in the woods and developed a relationship with nature and with the fairies. She had fairy friends. Um, There's a great story she told us that a fairy came to her in a dream and said, you've been a really good girl and look at this rock on your way to school and there'll be a present for you. And so Cora the next day was walking to school and looked at looked under the rock and sure enough there was a nickel which in those days bought a lot of candy. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was something then.
0: <laughs>
5: and the story goes that she and Victor actually met on the Astral and she met Victor um when she was very young uh on the astral before years before they met in person. And once they met in person they recognized each other.
4: Mm. So
5: the magical lineage really came through both of them in very different ways. And Cora really was a kitchen witch. She did healing magic through cooking. She cooked in a hospital, and the patients would always say they knew when she wasn't in the kitchen because the food <laughs> wasn't, didn't taste as good, right? Um, so she would do that kind of magic, uh, herb magic, sweeping magic, kitchen magic. And Victor did a lot more on the astral and he brought through a lot of um, more esoteric work because he went mostly blind as a small child, and so I think that facilitated his ability to walk between the worlds. And so here's Cora with this really ultra-practical household magic, and then Victor with the more esoteric astral work, and together they blended a really amazing... Beautiful, as you said, American homegrown magical tradition. That, of course, over time ended up taking on influences from various places, including Wicca, um, right. as that as, as that information became more known here. But so I would just feel incredibly fortunate to have studied it all with them. Um, it was a pretty, it was a blessing. That's that's what I can say about that. Mm-hmm. I just talked. I've just talked a lot. Do you have more questions about that?
2: Oh no, it's quite all right. Hey, that's hey, yes. For. <laughs> yeah. These people know what I sound like. <laughs> <laughs> You're the guest. Yes,
0: they know. I <laughs> know our voices.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, let's go to something modern now, because um, okay. Denise wanted to ask you about something you had written recently, and we're going to sh- we're definitely shifting gears here, but since it's going so well i just i think it's a it's it's a good idea right now
0: okay um well i had two questions but i think the second question is a little bit more pressing than the first question uh we all know what happened with the trial of tabon martin and um i don't want to get into that because i'm very emotional about it um because I'm a a black woman and Trayvon was a black teenager, child, man. Um, But I did read this morning, Confronting Racism is Spiritual Work. And I do agree with you very much that um, racism is a disease that we need to actually deal with on many different levels, and spiritually is one of the levels that we need to deal with it. So I wanted to um, have your thoughts about working uh, against racism and that being part of spiritual work for not only you, but for myself and other people out there.
5: Yeah, so my blog post, Confronting Racism and Spiritual Work, is actually one in a long series of posts I've written about social injustice in the U.S. and how it affects me as a magic worker as a spiritual person and just as a human um, uh-huh. I I work I've worked off and on with local families um, in Oakland, California whose sons have been killed by police um, I feel like there's an almost an epidemic of young black men being killed by Forces of uh, whether it's police or um, security uh, security forces. There's a recent study that came out that says every 36 hours, an African American man is killed by police or security forces.
0: That's a I think problem. it's more than every 24, but that's just my personal belief. Yeah,
5: and you know, oh. and of what I'm you know these families that I've been attempting to help which can feel very frustrating to me because I feel like I'm not very effective. Um, Mostly they are people who were killed for really no reason other than they were black. Mm -hmm. And what I think is important to realize is that we need to get away from thinking of people as being a racist, right? And we need to look at the fact that we live in interlocking systems of racism, right? That there's systemic racism and it's the water we swim in in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And it it creates a whole cascade of things. You know, it's what started off um, the George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin case, right? Right. Why in our culture are non-black people trained to be fearful of black people? Right, And it goes all the way back to the systems of control of brutal chattel slavery that we still are not over. And we think we're over and we want to say we're post-racial and we're not. Right. So I could go on and on about this and I really encourage people to try to do some research about educating ourselves about systemic racism, about aversive racism, which is what I sometimes just call casual racism. It's not that angry, ugly bigotry, it's just unconsciousness, um, callousness, myopia. And if we educate ourselves on that and on privilege, already we're helping the conversation. But I want to get back to your question about it being a spiritual matter. Um, When I look at my spiritual work and my work on self, I need to look at all the parts of myself that I want to avoid. I want to look at the parts of myself that make me feel uncomfortable, the parts I would rather would just go away. And Mm -hmm. I need to find ways to be in relationship to them and to bring them back into the embrace of the whole. It is our job to repair the world in Kabbalistic terms. Or Mm -hmm. um, one thing I always like to think of is the story of Isis and Osiris. You know, that My favorite I story. She had to literally, she had to literally remember Osiris. She had to put back together his scattered parts, and she had to literally fashion the part that was the life giver. Right? We have to do that with ourselves personally. We have mm-hmm. to heal mm-hmm. ourselves and become whole, physically, spiritually, emotionally, energetically, and mentally. And that cascades out into our culture. We do that work on self, and simultaneously we say, what do I need to pay attention to to better heal my community, to be in right relationship with my friends and my loved ones, right? I can't just stop with my healing. That healing needs to ripple out. And remember, just as I talked about the four powers, if we start with just a little bit, Then we build. It's the same with healing work. I don't have to wait until I feel all fully integrated and healed before then I start to do service work or justice work. No, I start where I am and I say, what internal resources do I have now to try to educate myself, to be of greater service, to try to heal my communities, to have these difficult conversations, right? We all have some capacity. So what's my capacity today? And how do I look at the ways in which my community is avoiding these conversations? How do I look at the very real pain that is happening in the world every day? And how do I address that pain from a place of compassion, connection, strength, and love? And all of our spiritual practices help us to do that, right? Yes, uh, I,
3: I would. I would like to add, as someone who has, uh, I'll bring up the trial for just a second. I, I avoid sensationalized trials like the plague, but mm-hmm. I confront the reactions.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I have to work with the reactions from both sides, and I want to say to everyone that healing is required because you can be on either side. For the wrong reasons. That's right. It doesn't matter what your feelings of the case. Make sure it's for the right reasons.
5: Yes, right. So, look, so where where look, does the healing come in? No matter what our emotional states are and what our thoughts are.
3: Right. And we are, you know, both sides are hurting for if for a reason. There's, I will say this plainly. There's. The end result, whatever your feelings of the case are, there is someone who is dead and there is a family grieving, and we must remember that. Right. There was a lot of money spent on this trial. A lot of it is, you know, partially ours. Where could that money have gone? That would have done better for everyone else. We need to look at all sides of this issue, not just a...
0: Which yes, is why we do I need to look at all sides of this issue because um, it's not just black men. Because I know I was at my part-time job last night, and um, these people that I've been pretty much with for almost a year or two, and I was sitting there waiting for David to come and pick me up, And I sat down, and um, this white woman who is like my boss, well, she's part of the establishment, and I'm in a restaurant. I'm a host for the restaurant, and she moved her tips over to the right away from me. Now, most people would have never caught that, and if I was actually talking to somebody else, I probably would have missed it myself. But the mere fact that she had to move her tips away from me for somebody who's already worked there for almost a year, and I think if I was going to be a criminal, which I'm not, I think if I wanted to take her tips, it would have taken it a long time ago. I would to wait for my anniversary to be, oh, okay, I'm going to take her tips now. So. Yeah. Um, and 7%. it's that subtlety that most people miss,
2: but I catch. They
0: don't understand what
2: they're doing. Even if they're not people that truly hate, they don't understand the residual like insensitivity. I think that's just in
3: them for them to work on. You know what I mean? And I don't think people are. And some of them probably on. don't that's even important. realize they're doing it. And that's the worst thing of all is they don't realize it. You
0: don't, don't, don't know. And she just... No, because I brought it up to her attention. It's like, well, you know, um, you didn't have to move your tips away from me. I already saw your tips, so it's, you know, I don't want your tips. I have my own tips. Thank you very much. But she still thought that, and it could be something ingrained that she didn't realize what she was doing, but I came close to her money and she reacted.
5: Mm -hmm. It's why I find it helpful to look at, the systems that need healing, right? And mm-hmm. I think we're I think you're right um whoever said that it's often just unconscious. It is unconscious, and so can we bring that to light? You know, part of our ability as magic workers is shining light into the dark spaces and saying what's here, right? We're trained as magic workers that we don't have to be afraid of the dark. We can walk in the dark and we can build relationship with that. And, you know, we can bring things that are in the subconscious up and say, let's look at this. Let's not be so frightened of it. Let's talk about this. You know, as witches, as magicians, as whatever we call ourselves, it's part of our role in the community to ask the uncomfortable questions that can bring us to greater states of healing and integration. really think that's part of our job and we all can do it in very different ways you know i have a more public platform that i use but each of us maybe we just do it by how we treat someone at the grocery store or you having the conversation with this woman at work right we can do our magic anywhere and we can be priests and priestesses anywhere and that's our call I think.
1: And the mm-hmm. more we
5: really take on that responsibility, the greater our ability becomes to repair the world, to bring the shards back towards wholeness, to remember Osiris.
0: Well, you know, Isis had to remember him twice, though. So, but never I'm an Isisian, so I know a lot about Isis. <laughs>
5: Ongoing work, and we have to do it, it, it is. over and over, right? Because everything's in a cycle, everything's in process, as I said earlier. Was there anything else on that that anyone had to say?
0: Anything else you want to say on that?
2: Well, one thing I would like to say is. That the superiority complex that can exist or the insensitivity complex, like we said, even if it's unconscious, some of that also comes from being misinformed. People are trained in certain ways. I'll give you a good example about how things are not as different as people think. And, And I'm going to clarify that in just a second. Because I'm a big one of my things I say all the time is that there's a illusion of separation and that human beings are basically everything's connected Uh, I I work with a lot of people I work with a lot of African Americans Uh, I do electrical work as part of one of the things I do for a living and on construction sites you know around in this part of the country it's it's mostly black and Latino I'm actually very often the dramatically the minority on the job being being the Caucasian and I also work with a lot of islanders Jamaican you know uh, Barbados and stuff like that and they'll tell you, you know, Jamaican slave trade history, before the uh, English abolished it, it, you go into their museums and there's white and Chinese slaves. And there's a lot of people that are white in Jamaica. There are a lot of people that are born long-time family, native Chinese uh, Jamaicans. So this this idea... This fake superiority. I know we're taking this in sort of a little bit white supremacy here, but but this was just greedy people taking advantage of whoever they could take advantage of, you know. And if you were white and you were in a weird position, slightly different kind of slavery, but you were still a slave and you were traded and you were dropped off at the middle point in Jamaica, and if maybe you got sent somewhere, maybe you
0: stayed. A lot Irish actually end up in Jamaica too, and
2: and some people from India
0: and, and other places. How they interracial breathing, I hate to say it that well, way, I mean, but, but it was a lot of um, Irish blood mixed with Jamaican blood yeah. that um, yeah, it, ends up better. being with the lighter skinned blacks, and, you know, I could do a whole show on that, yeah. but I won't, right. but, you know, well, but it's the integration another, of that, huh? Another day. That's another day, yes, so... Um,
2: anyway, what I'm talking about is, if you think you are one of these people that feel so superior, if you didn't have the money, you're not. It was about, where if you were poor, you might have been like, you know, all right, sir, I'll come onto your ranch, you'll give me a place to stay. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's different countries, different things. But uh, don't think you're all that superior because of what you like how you were born. If you go to other places and see that slave trade travel history and things like that, it becomes an eye-opener for many people, I think.
5: Well, and so to bring us back then, I think that's a really good point, what does connect us, right? And for me, that's the flow of God herself, right? That's the flow of goddess. Everything, flow of love moves through us all, and we are all part of that fabric. And so how are we taking responsibility to weave our particular color and texture into the fabric of the cosmos, right? Or how are we snarling that up? And making knots or- sep- trying to separate our threads out um and one thing I often say is that you know we are part of this non dual flow, we are part of the flow of everything, and yet duality comes in to teach us right mm-hmm. um, you know we we look at day and night, we look at hot and cold. We look at up and down. We look at love and fear, and on one hand, we are—they're all the same because they're all part of the flow. But, but making those distinctions are helpful teachers to us. And again, it's our job to, like the High Priestess card in the Tarot, we hold—we stand between those two pillars that look and feel so different: the pillar of mercy and the pillar of severity. But it's our job to mediate between the two of them and to align ourselves between them and to hold them both and say, these are reconciled in me, right? That's another part of the healing process, is to bring those polarities that seem so distinct back into union and say, here, feel the embrace of love, That is some powerful magic, and that's a spiritual act. It takes a lot of training and a lot of consciousness and a lot of fortitude. It's not easy work, but again, all the basic practices in every spiritual tradition, in every magical tradition, can train us towards that strength and resiliency and can train us towards the capacity to hold polarity and to mediate that middle pillar and to reconcile differences. And wow, if I can start to do that within myself, then I can train myself to better do that in my community. And that's how we change the world.
0: That's a very long process that uh, a lot of people have to get on board with. We have a long way to go. I know that's been said in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and now in the 2000s, but we still have a very long way to go. And I
2: think the first thing is, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, know, my parents' generation, my parents' 50s generation, I love them, you know, my parents' all that, but we don't see eye to eye on anything. uh, But that generation was like they did not look internally. Now, my parents weren't particularly hateful. Like, I was raised not to say the N-word, things like that. But they still had their a lot of their residual stuff. You know what I mean? But they weren't outwardly, you know, they were – and they raised us not to be that way. They raised us not to be, oh, don't, you know, don't dislike this person because of how they look. But they had the stuff that was still hammered in their head. But they did not – that generation was not known for its inner searching. <laughs> I mean, no, cer- cer- not- certain branches of it were not. It has to start with you looking within and going, okay, what about this? What if I wake up differently? What if I was in that situation? All those sorts of things, you know.
0: Right.
4: Right.
2: And <clears throat> so we're coming down now. just want to let everybody know what's going on here. We're down now to about six minutes on the clock. Man, the time flew by. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It does sometimes when he starts talking and when the, when the mind starts working. And some of the topics we talked about, we could turn into five-hour shows. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Somebody might write a... I wanted to ask you something because I saw it in your bio, and now we're going to drift away from the topic a little bit, but it's related because it's social justice related. That's kind of big for me because I live in a house with not one, but two Unitarian ministers. And I saw that you worked with uh, Unitarians before in the past in your bio. And, in fact, I was curious because you mentioned a place in D.C. I'm curious if you know my brother. His name is the Reverend Scott Samor michael No. Don't, don't recognize the name. just curious. I had to throw that out there. <laughs> and Reverend Anya Samor michael his wife, is uh, over in Sterling, Virginia. Scott is at Akatink. And sometimes they hear the archives of these shows because sometimes we bring up a, a, a related topic. But I was thinking of asking you about your relationship with the Unitarian Church and some of your inter- any any interesting story that sticks right up out at you about speaking. I saw so you speak at Catholic churches and anything else. Any reactions from the interface stuff is what I'm trying to get down to. Do you ever get any strange yeah. or odd reactions from a place that was maybe you know not as accepting of a, of a pagan or something like that, or very positive?
5: What I've mostly found in my interfaith work, I've done a lot of interfaith work, including um, presenting at the Parliament of the World's Religions when it was in Melbourne, (coughs) Australia. Um, Yeah, and I've spoken at Unitarian churches and Catholic churches, but mostly my interfaith work is done through social justice work. And what I have found is that the people I do my justice work with, we always find the common ground. What's most important for us is how... Spirit works in matter, you know, what is justice, whether it's environmental justice, um, social justice, racial and economic justice, right? I've always found people to be warm and welcoming and really curious and interested to find what I bring as a pagan to our justice work, and I really haven't had any bad experiences um, in my interfaith work at all. If if anything, people are curious and sometimes want, um, want me to speak to things, you know, as a pagan, that I'm like, well, anyone could speak to this, whether you're Christian, Muslim, atheist, uh, it doesn't matter. But I find that the common ground and the wish for a better world unites us all. And people who are doing justice work I think mostly are looking for connection. I think we're all deeply aware of the patterns of disconnection that we've built in our societies. And any way that we can find to come together and hold hands, people feel pretty willing to do that. So I found that people are interested in focusing on what unites us rather than on the divisions, because the divisions have caused great wounding And we're trying to heal those wounds.
3: All right. Well, we're pretty much coming down
2: to it, folks. Brett, did you have any last comments?
3: Uh, I did want to say um, on the interfaith thing. Now, I am am getting ready to move into an Episcopal priesthood study, possibly. I mean, there's a lot of back and forth in that. And I, I just want to say, you know, in that capacity, I would think it would be wrong to not, to want to have interface talks. Mm-hmm. And especially in the realm of justice, because it's something that right. really, you know, unites us all. That we want the world to be better, especially, you know, country, world, whatever. Justice our justice system is skewed because we are skewed in a lot of our own precepts.
5: Right.
2: The human system. And I mean,
3: I look who I work with on this show. I, I, most people would not expect to hear me say that, based on you know where what show I do. You know.
4: So yeah.
3: uh, interfaith is important.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, thank T you. Thorn, I want to thank you
2: very much for joining us today. We're coming
0: to I the want to thank you too. <laughs> coming up to thank the you. end of the
2: hour here, and. We'll go ahead and post, like, your website and stuff on the archives. A lot of times we get a lot more listens on the archives. We had an okay chat room tonight, so uh, thank you very much.
5: Thank you all so much, and may our work be blessed, and may our work be a blessing.
2: All right. Thank you. And it was a blessing to have such a pleasant guest. <laughs> yes,
4: it was a blessing. <laughs> I, felt like so
2: I felt like we could have talked for another three hours.
4: but. <laughs> <We could> actually. <laughs> all right.
2: Well, good night, everyone, and you're listening to Main Street Universe. Remember, you can go back in the archive, Super Time Machine, and listen to them again. Thank you.
1: Forbidden archaeology. Forgotten history. Divination. Magic. Cryptozoology. UFOs. Nature, science, and spirit. All this and more, right here On the Main Street Universe Radio Network.
2: And welcome to another episode of Spiritual Insight with your host, Mr. Darren Vuquer. And it appears that Darren has dropped out. Hello, Darren. Are you there? We are having some technical difficulties. When we've done this little change, Blog Talk Radio has made technical difficulties. I see he's there. Hello, Darren, and welcome.
4: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Spiritual Insight. This is Darren Boucher. Darren and Michael, how are you this evening?
2: Doing okay, and everything was going smooth, and all of a sudden my line was disconnected for no apparent reason. Mm -hmm. But there are sometimes
4: some. I sent you a text message, too, um, as well. So.
2: Uh, it's, but I'm, I'm well. And in fact, the other day I bought a new guitar, uh-huh. and we are preparing for our southern tour, starting in Austin. Good. Well, you guys are going to
4: visit here again Is what you're saying? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Okay. So you have one, one gig lined up at the Howling Wolf. Those New Orleans locals know exactly what that is, what that's all about. Um, it's a pretty fantastic concert venue. Um it moved to a new since I used to live here way long ago, kind of around the corner from where it was, but I think it's it's in a it's situated it's it's fairly large. So this is this is gonna be a good one for you. You can get some get some marketing and stuff going for
2: it. Oh yeah, we're gonna be looking into lots of different things. Uh there might even be another band involved so their marketing efforts might be involved as well. And even trying to get some people we may know in the area, um, getting the word out, so yeah. we have all sorts of <clears throat> things that we're working on and to promote this and looking forward to it, looking forward to our southern well, tour.
4: What was the, the the mission statement, the descriptor you gave me for your sound again? Oh your brother gave us <laughs> a fusion. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. So that's that's upbeat. And um, when, when are you going to be here again? April
2: or on It'll be around April. Yeah, so it'll be yeah,
4: okay.
2: April, maybe April tenth. So, so I have to look okay. at the date again. Forgive me, I'll, I'll look at it again. There's a couple too of them now. Too bad,
4: too bad you're going to miss um, St. Patrick's Day today. Mm-hmm. You
2: know.
4: Well, you got you guys are going to do good on St. Patrick's Day, no matter where you're at. much, that would have
2: mattered. <laughs> yep. And March third, we have we have a gig here at Dogfish Head. We have another mm-hmm. one at uh, – there's another place in D.C. that where we're mm-hmm. getting a shared venue. So we're starting to
4: mm-hmm.
2: load up on the shows now. The CD should mm-hmm. be done by March. And by this mm-hmm. time, very realistically, we're already talking to the people that are going to master it, which is the final step.
4: The well, tracks are going to be
2: done probably by, like, this time next week.
4: Well, it sounds like you're fast-tracking a lot of stuff, Um and that's that's great, you know, you you it's funny how when you get when you man you want to manifest something and you put a name on it, you say, Okay, I'm gonna bring the name the band, we're gonna master some music, we're gonna do this stuff and suddenly gigs come together and everything just starts happening. You know? It's because you put an identity behind it.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't some loose like, Well, hey, my name's Dan and I live in down the street in Fairfax we're like, no, we're this entity called Dragon's Head and we're contacting people out of town, which makes them think, "Well, well, these guys must have it together. They're they're willing to come That's down to exactly. Do this." You know exactly. I
4: tell my clients this all the time. And, and let me let me draw it into tonight's topic, which is the fire, the element of fire. Fire, yeah. like the phoenix, is is a light in the darkness, an inspiration, and that that inspiration can burn old constructs to the ground, destroying obsolete. Uh, mentality, destroying uh, lethargy, destroying complacency, destroying everything that has weighed us down, burn it to the ground, and then ignite the spark that's going to actually fuel the vitality and life behind behind regeneration and new life. And um, that's what the fire element is. And let's say, you know, for a lot of my clients that I was basically insinuating when we want to do something creative and we have this potential and we're interested in it, but we're doing it in a way that that just doesn't have any clear, linear focus, then that's when a lot of these projects don't take off. They just don't. Um, you know, if you were like, I'm Daniel Michael, I do my music thing, I play guitar, I occasionally write some of my music, that's a lot less, you know, uh, linear than saying, okay, I'm in this band, Dragon Ped, We've had these members We're a Morgan gutter for this one. Our music is this profile, it, it you know, and this is
2: You have a logo, a a beautiful logo,
4: you
2: know, as well.
4: Right, with a logo, and it's something palpable that somebody can grasp onto and say, okay, wow, this is someone that, that knows what they're doing, and this is what's happening. Um, people ask me all the time, well, how come my, some of my creative projects aren't getting off the ground? It's like, how much are you investing, and then how much are you believing in it? And how much are you accepting that it's part of who you are? Because if you're not owning it, why would anybody else purchase it or buy it or come see it or, or whatever? If you're not if you're not doing it, why would anyone else do it?
2: No, I agree with you more, and I've never felt, in just the way you're describing it, about a project I've ever been in before than I do right now with this one, including even when not all the members can even make it. It's almost like it has it's its own little space spirit or entity of its own, and we find a way to fill a gap. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes our fiddle player can't make it, but we have a guitar player who will sit in and kind of fake the leads on the guitar that are similar mm-hmm. to the melody of the fiddle. We have two different girls that can, you know, it's almost like a band by committee sometimes. There are the main members, but... You know everybody has lives, and and we have our main backup singer and and things like that. But I actually have. So how many people
4: are coming to New Orleans?
2: What's that?
4: How many people are coming here? It's you, your brother.
2: Me, my brother. It'll be me, a drummer, a bass player.
4: Mm
2: Mhm. Um, and our violin player can't make it, which does bum Mm -hmm. me out a little bit. But we we are probably going to have a guitar player to fill in, and my backup singer, who's very vital to the
4: sound of this band. I wow. there okay, well I, that sounds like a pretty pretty solid lineup. I mean if you you know you're missing somebody. hmm Oh, I think I lost you there, Darren. There you go. My phone's conference calling. Oh, you're, back. you're back Yeah, no, my phone is is it likes the conference call. The same number I'm talking to all the time. It really it's truly annoying when I'm talking to really, Yeah, no idea. And I'll be just yammering on about something really important that they need to hear, and then I'll realize that I'm on a third call calling into that person. So it's just... It's unnerving. It is.
3: They're filming
4: um, a movie right outside the store today about a jazz singer called Buddy Bolden. Um, the name of the movie is going to be King Bolden, I guess. Hmm. But they've been turning the front of the store into some 19th century, like, turn-of-the-century, uh, I don't know what, storefront or something. And and, and you know, everyone's in period dress and <laughs> jazzy sort of looking. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But that was not encouraging. It hasn't been encouraging people to come in the store. However, I, I've still been doing okay, but... I did kinda of tell them that, okay, you're you're impeding you know, my income here. So I say like, um so they decided to give me a check, which is or they're going to land. Oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah, that's um and they usually will if you're used to dealing with inner payment types and they're infringing upon your uh in your income depending on what their budget is. So you gotta at least try to at least try to ask them you know, and then if they if they really can't, then they can't, and then you oh well. But you know, so that was a good that was a good thing, definitely. But it is it is interesting to learn a little bit about you know what the the birth of jazz at the turn of the century. You know that is the real genesis moment right there. You know because, I mean you have blues like really roots blues, and then you have you know, spirituals, and then singing of the spirituals, and then how that transformed into jazz, which eventually transformed into swings, and eventually uh, even rock and roll and other things. So
2: We saw here locally, uh, gosh, I can't remember their name now. It's a New Orleans jazz, or no, it's a, jazz, it's a brass band. Rebirth. They're so kind of like a party brass Rebirth.
4: band. Rebirth. Hello.
2: That's, that's probably them. And the the one guy, the tuba player, yeah. also has a little symbol that he hits with like a screwdriver.
4: Yeah, reverse. Yeah, reverse okay. brass band. It's huge. Huge here. Very, very prominent. They they get on the road a lot too. So yeah, that was, I think it was either at
2: the State Theater or the Tally Ho. One of these kind of nice Virginia mm-hmm. theaters that are around here. Um, they have a couple cool venues around here. I'll give them that. It's, it's a funny music scene, but they, they do have a couple pretty sweet venues.
4: Well, uh, you know they—they're—they're uh, they're a lot of fun. Everyone, enjoy, I mean, it's always great to go see them. Of course, if you've been seeing them for the last fifteen years, you—you know, you're used to what it's all about. It's always you've a good time. It. Um, there are some people that <laughs> we used to go time. with. <laughs> what?
2: I was saying it was—it was my first time seeing them. So.
4: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it's—it's it's very lively. It's very exciting. I have had certain friends of mine from LA go whoa, what's the big deal, you know, and then I go, okay, well, I tell you what, you know, you got to really just enjoy yourself, because people, you'll hear people talk about it and get very excited about it, but that's just the spirit of the city, you know, the spirit of the city is that sort of lively kind of, uh, like, let's sit in, it's all, uh, like, 18 different musicians kind of just layer on top of each other and link each other, and that's, that's the beauty of it.
2: Yeah, and they don't always have to be, like, all of the greatest musicians you've ever, you know, seen. It, it, no. It's the spirit of it. And also, and I viewed their show as almost trance-like. Like, you, you jump around to it. It's, it's like, trance to me. You know, it's, it's like, you just kind of get into the spirit of the thing. It, it's not time for, like, analysis and things like that, if you know what I mean. That's how I viewed it. I guess everybody could be a little different. <clears throat> Did I lose you again?
4: It's a possibility that I've lost you again. Oh, hello. Yeah, it's 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 not the most cerebral moment in history when you're when you're doing that.
2: Right. It's it's just trance. Yeah. Almost like listening to the Celtic. Some of those songs Over and over again In the real mm. traditional style It's like um, and They repeat the pattern Like a hundred times
4: It's and, repetition and It
2: actually took me A minute to get it Because there's a local Irish jam that I Sometimes you just Sit in on here At the Shabin And mm-hmm. they have a piper And they got everything And, and uh, But people are Welcome to sit in and, and you know At first you're like It's kind of repetitive And then some of it's Really hard Like if they're really Noodling away on the on the instrument or on the the whistle or whatever, but you then you start to learn that it's kind of like a trance, you know.
4: It's well, kinda, you just okay. Let's draw it. Let's draw it back in a line to West Africa, and let's draw it back to rhythmic drumming, and let's draw yeah. that back up into the highlands of uh, Northern Ireland, and the fact that both of these cultures have been very late in the game Christianized. Okay. So oh, right. Also, what? Yes,
2: I agree.
4: Yeah. So we have the you know the Irish people who were still uh, you know kidnapping Romans <laughs> as as personal servants from from Britain way late in the game, and an African you know who lived, breathed, slept all rhythmic drumming. So all of that kind of lends itself towards towards trance and symbiosis with a uh, spiritual elevation that it's like really incredible. And that's why, you know, that that's what we're looking at with, with a lot of this music. I mean, it's really fantastic. We'll I mean, enjoy that.
2: And I know this is a new time for your show mm-hmm. being on Wednesdays. So, haven't been getting as many reading calls yet, but that's because the word hasn't gotten out, probably.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to start maybe, you know, promoting it a little bit more. Um, uh, This is a new time for my show, everyone, so please realize that you can call in if you do have a question or or a spiritual dilemma. Uh, Tonight, we are, um, our our, uh, theme is fire and uh, the element of fire and what it, uh, brings to uh, the table as far as now, is there is, is there something that that you do is if you're when you're thinking of the element of fire and you want to create inspiration you kind of is there is there anything you do in particular, Daniel Michael, that kind of relates to that or connects with that?
2: I think one thing is, mm-hmm. and this is just I guess a personal thing. Mm-hmm is to make sure that the fire is being productive and that I don't just burn everything down around me because I can get, sometimes I can get excited.
4: <laughs> so uh, yeah.
2: th- that could be, and then if you add air in my brother's <laughs> fire, then you have air fire. <laughs>
4: then, we're the
2: then,
4: pl- we're, then we're in yeah, the flames. Yeah, we got a lot, I mean, it, it, there is something, I don't know if it's a male aspect. By the way, fire can be a very male masculine and assertive out, definitely. Um, but we, we do see that, it, I don't know if it's against the guy thing or I don't know what it is, but you can tend to get a, get a little carried away with fire. You know, the whole caveman situation, the whole quest for fire, the the idea that everything's expanding through fire and, and, and rekindling itself and destroying itself and rebirthing itself and everything, it just gets a little crazy you know who hasn't seen like some of their brothers cousins boyfriends whatever it's like just incessantly throwing wood into a fire until there's no wood and then we're looking for other things that are flammable and it's like whoa buddy <laughs> no we need that deck chair they can't go in the fire <laughs> <You know? laughs> and i just it bought it
2: <laughs> and you and i are both people that can that can start to get excited about something and 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 talk and even occasionally dominate and so and I think that's almost can be like a fire like quality even though I'm an air or earth sign but because I know like my brother is a fire sign he's a very natural leader and sometimes that natural leader fire person can, can he got, he got me
4: the other day he got me because I yeah. called you and then he called me back I forgot what the hell he was doing I was on the freeway and I was like bumper to bumper What's your brother's first name again? What's your brother's name? Scott. Scott. Yeah, he just he's like Darren. This this guy, listen, You called Daniel Michael. I'm like, yeah. And then of course I'm like, wait a second, because he sounds so much like you that I'm like, wait oh yeah, a second, we
2: have
4: a very similar. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm like, okay, this guy. And then he just goes starts going on about your trip. And everything, and I had like five other people to call, like five other clients to talk to, and everything. I was like, oh, "Okay, that sounds really cool. All right." <laughs> like, but he just kept speaking. like he was just eating the conversation. So I like, get what you mean, definitely. And and honestly, though, but
2: and and he in particular has that um, he has a natural driving leadership quality though, too. He he does get things done, you know. He makes and things we need to, to reality people. at fire quality, you know.
4: Mm-hmm. And uh that's that's uh, I'm yeah. not gonna say that's me as well, but on a lot of levels it is. I'm a little more air than fire, but lately I've been kinda of relating to fire. The new energy, I wanna it's a new year. I wanna you know, I wanna ignite some things, I wanna change some things, I wanna inspire some things. Um I am going to start teaching again. Um I haven't had the right venue and now uh, we have another colleague I'm be working with at Marie Laveau's, who has a metaphysical church here. Ah. We're well, doing an overview of uh, palmistry maybe once a month or some degrees, so that'll be nice to kind of people who are very interested in it here. And the fact that I work with Ayurveda and, and that sort of thing, I think it's it's definitely something that they wanted to add to their portfolio. It's, it's something they offer. So well, it, should be, it should be good to get back into that on some levels. So that's going to be good.
2: Absolutely. And mm-hmm. also, um, have you considered, again, your book, Tale of the Serpent? Well,
4: right. That, that's something that I definitely want to get wrapped up in the next couple months um, uh, and then get that out uh, looking into. I have a couple different uh, ideas for people um, and publishers and connections on that level. Uh, here's what's interesting, and, and for those of us that don't know or, that, or are you familiar with Lou Allen. Welling gets 400 manuscripts almost per day. So, I don't want to squash anyone's dreams, but I do want to say that if you are a polytheist, or or, or if you are a mystic, or a transcendental uh, meditation expert, I just have to say please understand that this publisher gets a lot of manuscripts in. So you need to have a foot in the door, you need to know somebody, you need to you know, kinda have some sort of in because, you know, don't cross your fingers and just sit in, in Iowa City and hope that your book on, you know, being one with the sun is gonna really they're gonna they're gonna get back to you in like ten minutes and go, Okay, oh my gosh, this is a game changer. This is it. Now they might I'm not saying they're not I'm not gonna be I'm I'm really not trying to you know squash anyone's dream, but I do want to say that you gotta look into your options for publishers and if you wanna go through a blue element, gotta have an agent and you gotta kinda have an agent that might know what the hell they're talking about and and really give you a realistic idea on what your chances are and and then go from there. So and you might need a good editor. There's a lot to there's a lot to really consider. So um self publishing options are all things that I need to look into and, yeah. and all that stuff. So, um,
2: I think the, the book would have a really good chance of taking off as being almost like a... Um, now, of course, it's yours. I'm not telling you what to do. I mean, we both kind of came up with the idea, you know, of, hey, let's do a layout book. Not that it's mine or my layout. Well, whatever. for
4: those of us that don't know what we're talking about, Daniel Michael yeah. has uh, really enjoyed some of my, my uh, shows. Based on different layoffs utilizing uh, tarot spreads and and that are thematically uh, kind of integrated into a kind of a spiritual uh, thought process and, and kind of a, a pathway to destiny. So these are not just spreads; they're ways to kind of really integrate into the center and, and be introspectively kind of you know go into who you are and where you're really going. So it's so these have been encouraging me to kind of kind of do a compilation of these spreads into a book, which I'm calling uh the Tale of the Serpent. Tale being T A L E. So the story of the Serpent as far as the path and the wisdom behind the idea of the serpent. So there's that.
2: Absolutely. And you had some good ones. You had one called Shadow of the Moon that I think a lot of people Mm like that one. Felt that was a pretty cool spread. And you had, of course, Tale of the Serpent was one of the spreads. And mm-hmm. you had another one that was the well, drinking like sort of the well of wisdom. So you he, he came up with some great ideas. I think there'll be nice spreads. It could almost be a kind of a small, almost like handbook or something, you know. I, but it's your project. <laughs> but, oh, it, it, it is
4: my it is my project. The idea behind what – there's a lot of books with tarot spreads, Okay. The tarot, for me, is something functional that I utilize almost every day. Okay, if I have a day off, I'm still doing a phone reading or two or three where I'm going to utilize the symbology of the tarot to help people figure out their past, figure out their future, figure out what jobs might be viable, like, like a host of different things. So it's a tool that I use all the time. So when you're asking me, oh, hey, what do what you like in caring, That's like asking... Uh, Tiger Woods, what kind of clubs do like? You know what I mean? It's like, that's a big deal for him. He's probably got a lot to say about it. Right. Because he uses them all.
2: Now, I have a question you know? that one of our audience members might have, especially okay, the archives. Sure. Remember, we oftentimes get more listens in the archives than live, but as the show okay. gets normalized into Wednesday, believe me.
4: Yeah, so- yeah, just, uh, again, everyone, if you're listening in the archives, we're gonna we're gonna shoot for for this every Wednesday, so uh, it's something that's gonna be the norm. And we're only doing a half an hour uh, this week, but then next week we're gonna we're gonna go into an hour. But so we have about three minutes. So what's what's the question, Daniel Michael?
2: Anyway, they might say, "Well, do you do readings for yourself, or do you do you like to maybe consult?" Because I've had people ask this many times, or especially of if they think the person is a. Very experienced reader, they'll say, "Well, do they like to do one for themselves, or do they enjoy um, consulting someone else from time to time?"
4: Well, it, it's I, I have two different options with this, and I'll kind of try to be as as you know ex, expressive about it as as I have time for. Um, I usually like to ask. I have a very strong connection with my spirit guide. And work with my spirit guides, So I'll try to spend time in meditation and see what comes to me from an intuition standpoint and what message comes. Um, however, if I feel that I'm so close to the situation that I might not get a clear message that I not, might not be trying to influence with my own bias, then I will uh, pull my hands over the cards and really spend some time really trying to tap into what, exactly the messages, and then I will choose a card or two relating to that specific question. Um, now, I don't do that very often, because usually I know what the hell is happening, and I can feel a sense of where energy is going, where it's moving towards, and I'm usually really rarely surprised, as far as for me. Everybody's different. Um, if Even if something shocking happens, I pretty much figured it was probably going to happen so it's either through negligence or through the fact that i just didn't care or through the fact that maybe i felt like it had to happen then i'm letting it happen and then it's you know then and then in that case maybe i'm so close to a situation that i really need to put it under the microscope and then then i will but i really i rarely do readings for myself
2: mm-hmm. well a lot of readers actually say that and some of them do but some of them never come up with anything that's. Maybe something they don't want. <laughs> I, I know a few readers that are like that. They're like, "Well, I, my mind always finds a way to make it happy." So I just, you know, well, try
4: try dealing with somebody who's a little erratic. That <laughs> if you're dealing with someone that, that is is not very consistent or makes kind of decisions that are a little fragmented, then you might yeah. get something surprising. And then that's where even if you're an empath or you're intuitive, or even if it's your business that's something that you might occasionally get something that's surprising. And then at that point, that might be a good time to do a read. I don't know. Do
2: when you're dealing
4: to... with a si- situation with several different companies and they're going to make a decision, there's a, there's a lot of variables, and that might be a good time for a reading. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And, of course, for the student, uh, if you're learning the cards, then, of course, hey, I recommend do a little you
4: look at the reading cards every day. Reading
2: Reading for yourself, been great.
4: You know, um, do readings everywhere. If you are a student of tarot, let me tell you very briefly. It's great to do readings on everything. Do reading on your mountain. Do reading on the dog. Do reading on your new job. Do a reading. Do read, and do several. If you don't feel like you like the outcome, read it again. And when you start to see that you get the same cards all the time, you'll start to realize what tarot is really about, and it's and it's reaffirming the validation of energy that you're imprinting on the cards. But. um uh, we are keeping it to a half an hour tonight. Um, again, I wanted to really thank uh, Daniel Michael uh, for co-hosting with me this evening. Um, everyone, uh, please embrace the element of fire in your lives. Um, be inspired. Tear down walls that are constraining you. And brighten the dark passages in your life with uh, the spirit of inspiration. All right, Darren. Again, and really
2: quick, anybody wants to contact you for a reading? Yeah,
4: if you want to contact me uh for a private session uh consultation uh d b u p a r e d at gmail dot com and uh or you can get in touch with me uh at Marie Lavo's house with on uh Berkett street in all right thanks again everyone. Good night. all right
2: thank you all you've been listening to Darren Bucare on spiritual insight here every Wednesday at nine p m eastern time thank you all and have a great evening